Welcome to another podcast from Age Defined Careers. My name is Elise Stevens, and today I have the fantastic Sally Foley Lewis talking about her career story. Now, Sally is a fantastic leadership coach, and she believes in helping leaders become more effective and helping the people to improve productivity and process. Hello, Sally. Hello, Elise. Thank you for having me. Oh, so good to talk to you about your career story. I'm sure you've had a very interesting career. Well, I've I've gone CV diving just to remind myself of all the crazy things I've done over the years. So, yeah, I think when I look at it, it, there's a thread that is probably not as obvious to others as it is to me about what I've done irrespective of where I've worked. (laughs) So, yeah. So, Sally... Can you share your career story? I came out of a Bachelor of Leisure Studies. A lot of people who who hear that think, oh, that must have been fun. Did you just play sport all the time? And then I say, no. If I say to you the political economy of leisure, apart from the fact that it makes my eyes glaze over, it's actually a really deep topic. And so... I graduated with sports management, community arts, and also therapeutic recreation, which is recreation for people with disabilities, for marginalised groups, youth organisations, and I did youth detention work. But my first job out of university, when we get into the career side of things, is that I was the recreation officer at one of Brisbane's psychiatric hospitals at the Winston Noble Unit, which I guess doesn't even exist anymore. So I had fun creating recreation and leisure activities for people with mental illness and helping use the the platform of leisure and recreation as building blocks for tools for activities of daily living. So reconnecting them with a normal kind of life, but using cooking classes, going shopping or window shopping, catching the train into the city, all sorts of sport, using the gym, leather craft, woodcraft, all sorts of things like that. So that was my first job. <laughs> From there, I went into more community-based activities, worked for a halfway house, which I think I'm quite proud of, that when I worked at that halfway house, we had about 20 residents all with mental health issues, and we went camping overnight, which was the very first for that particular service. Um, took a lot of planning, but we did it. And then from there, I kind of graduated into other types of roles, such as the development officer for Guides Queensland. And then I ran away and lived overseas for a few years, came home and went into the state public service. That took me to Warwick and to Longreach. Awesome to be out in regional and remote communities, um, helping them to look at their sport and recreation programs and infrastructure. And then made my way back down to Brisbane, sort of did a bit of freelance work, was the CEO for Duke of Edinburgh's award for Queensland. So that put me into the the framework of leadership. That also set me up to understand uh, working with people in geographically dispersed uh, places. So I, even though I was, I was based in Brisbane as a CEO, I had a couple of thousand volunteers spread out over Queensland. And from there, I ran away with my then husband to, who's my now husband, but uh, we went to Abu Dhabi in the UAE and I worked for the Australian Trade Commission for a little bit. 
I worked for the Queensland Trade Office for about five minutes because contracts over there are a little slightly different to contracts here. And then I ended up stepping into a senior management associate position with one of the biggest training companies in the Gulf. Stayed there, loved that work, hated the boss, loved the work. Stepped into my own practice, my own business after that. And I've been running my own show ever since. So uh, that's about eight years now, since 2010. I've been the, the master of my own destiny. And I think the thread through all of that is that I have been in positions where I am striving to empower others, striving to skill, uh, mentor, support, train, coach and guide others. And I, that's the constant underlying thread through every role I've had I think so yes wow that's an impressive career journey so far Sally yeah that doesn't count working in the Italian takeaway shop and working as a sales assistant for just jeans when I was when I you know the part-time school jobs but yeah yeah so all good fun so you did a degree in leisure studies and from that you were able to you were able to move roles, which is very interesting. Did you seek opportunities or did opportunities come to you? The Bachelor of Leisure Studies is my first degree. I've got a couple of pieces of paper, which when you dig into that has an interesting backstory. A lot of the roles that I have gone for, like the my very first job in the psychiatric hospital was a was I, I put my hand up and applied for it. I put my hand up for Guides Queensland. But as I've gone over the years when there's been little pockets of opportunities, it's who you know. It's not actually what you know. It's definitely who you know. And it's become more and more into who knows you. So I'd say in the early days I had to do the hard yards with the CV, the cover letter, the application, the key selection criteria, painful interviews. As, you, as I've gotten older, it seems that I've been tapped on the shoulder. And so you say that it's about who knows you. What have been some of the, the things that you've done to really build your presence so that people know you? It's the networking and staying in constant contact with people. So even as we have got all this stuff online now to stay in constant contact with people with social media, nothing will replace the picking up the phone and having a chat or meeting with people, getting involved in industry groups and showing up. And even when you don't feel like it, showing up and being present so that you can connect with people and you're you're staying ever-present in their mind. It's a case of when someone's doing something and they want some help with something, you want them to be thinking of you as the first person to contact. And so networking is really, really critical for that. That's probably first and foremost. Yeah, and I think a lot of women don't know how to network or like at the end of the day, after a stressful day, you're thinking, oh, you know, I really just want to go home and down and put my brain to rest for a little while but you just Mm. never know what you're going to get out of something do you and what you can contribute to something completely and sometimes you know I'll be honest there's a couple of networking groups I've been to over the years where I've walked in the room and just thought oh gosh the clicks you know the people who know each other and just go to socialize amongst themselves and not see the broader value of actually opening their circle and inviting others in or breaking their circle up for just 
don't know, 15 minutes and go go meet other people in the room. And so I kind of got cranky at one, one night when I walked in and I saw it and I decided that I would walk up to everyone else and say, hi, how are you going? How's your day been? If I was a business development manager for you for the next five minutes, what are you looking for? And it took me a little bit of courage to do it, but I think it was because I was so cranky at the same old, same old that um, instead of expecting the networking group or someone else to take responsibility, how about I put up or shut up? And so I went up and did that to about five or six people in the room and I think I, I kind of floored them a little bit. But once we got past that, they went, oh, thanks for asking. That's really kind of cool. In the moment, I wasn't thinking of because I did that, they're going to remember me and the knock-on effect that that might have. But I know it actually had that because they've come back. One of, one of them has definitely come back and actually engaged me to do work since. And it's all because I took a deep breath and went, you know what, shut up or put up, go up and ask and, and just engage. It's asking a different kind of question. It's taking, it's having courage to just say something a little bit different than what the usual networking stuff is all about. I agree with you. So when you came back from the UAE, you decided to start your own business and mm. and continue to work on your passion. Mm. Was it difficult to make that decision when you came back from overseas? It was not difficult to make the decision. The difficulty came in that we're both originally from Brisbane and so we came back to Australia six weeks in Melbourne and then to be based in Sydney for my husband's work. And I see my skill and my my offering being transferable no matter where I am. But I had no idea of who anyone was in Sydney. So I was back at the networking, back at the get myself known stage. The decision was made incredibly easy based on the boss I had in the UAE, <laughs> which is um, a bit naughty to say, but that's how it was. That's the truth. <laughs> Difficult um, bosses, unfortunately, are a part of life. Oh, completely. I wish it weren't so, and you get so disappointed when you work with people that are, are challenging, and that's code mm. for other things. Unfortunately, it, it's a fact of life, and... I wish it weren't so. I wish that everyone was lovely and caring and sharing and strategic and all those great things that you teach people how to do, how to be, but they're just not. This particular person was very direct, very aggressive, and all for the right reasons, like wanting to make sure the business flourished so I can understand what was driving it. But what really flummoxed me was that if you were at a social event, it was Jekyll and Hyde. This person was just absolutely divine and engaging and pleasant and present and it really threw you. And we had this big Christmas dinner one night where the whole team was there and this person was in their nice mode and someone, a colleague of mine, turned around and just said, what's going on? Because this is not how you are when we're at work. And the poor person had this sort of flummox look on their face, a bit confused, a bit whatever. And my colleague said, we want more of this, not the other one. And I thought, oh, that was a pretty career limiting move. I can't help but agree with her. We, we saw a very challenging dynamic in this person who treated some people pretty roughly, which was also partly environmental as well. And that's right. 
if you don't go through your life having not experienced one bad boss, then A, you're pretty lucky and B, it's kind of grounding in a way. I'm kind, I am grateful for that experience because it taught me what not to be. It also taught me that that works in the short term, not in the long term. It taught me that if I ever turn up in any type of group or context not being truly who I am, then I'm going to lose respect from people. And because I would dare say very few people respect this person who is my boss. I understand. Sally, what have been some of the lessons that you've learned so far in your career? I've learned that it's actually um, okay to say sorry. When you're in a leadership position and you do something wrong or you didn't handle something quite as well as you thought you could, going back to the team and going, yep, my bad, I'm really sorry. What's your feedback on this? What's your learning? What was your perspective on this? And the level of respect and the level of support and engagement you then get from the team is just ramps right up because you've been willing to say, I'm human and I'm vulnerable too. And I think that was a really big one for me because I blew my stack at someone when I was very young and green and then went back and apologised the way I delivered the message. And I was forgiven, which was just very gracious of the person. And not that I knew this at the time, it's taken years of reflection and looking back at how it all unfolded, but I realised that had I not apologised, had had ego stepped in and, and kept me from being a decent human being, I would not have had the team that I had. Other lessons are, and this is a big one, particularly for women, that I think I'm the type of person who says yes, then goes, oh, dear goodness, how do I work out how to do it? I think more women need to say yes and trust that the answer or the process will come later because that's something that I think one of the things that happens for women is that, say, for example, we have an opportunity on the radar and we look at what that opportunity involves. And if we don't have almost 90% of the uh, competencies to do it, we, we won't put our hand up for it. Whereas I think there's some statistics that say that women are 90%, men are 60%. Don't actually quote me on that, but I think that's around about what the, the statistics are. And so my learning has been probably more out of just saying yes. I'm the type of person that will always be good for a dare So I'll say yes, and then I panic about how to do it. But it means I've had those opportunities. It means that I've stepped in and learnt and my resilience is a bit better. I've been able to experience things. And I've also been able to stuff a lot of stuff up, which is also learning. I I really love the idea of failing and fail fast and quietly. (laughs) I would encourage anyone to say yes and and not, not overthink it. Just let yes come out your mouth because how you then do it can come later. That would be a big one, I think. Well, they're fantastic lessons, and thank you for sharing them. My pleasure, my pleasure. Thank you for your time today, um, Sally. It's been so great talking to you about your career story. Thanks for having me, Elise. It, it, It was a nice prompt to go down memory lane, so thank you. Not a problem. That ends another podcast from Age Defined Careers. 